Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here this week. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us. And we're going to try to answer as many of your questions as we can. If you're new to the program, that's what we do here is answer viewers' questions. Uh, you'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Uh, anybody that's watching can use those anytime to get in touch with us. Tell us what's on your mind. Uh, tell us some question that you've always wondered about. Or maybe something we say today will stir a question in your mind. Say, well, I wonder what that means. Well, give us a call or log on and say, talk about this and we'll put it on the script. Uh, we'll get to it as quickly as we can is the way we do this program. So whatever you want to know about the Bible or maybe something in your life that you wonder what the Bible has to say about it, we'll try to find you an answer. Let me introduce the fellow that helps me answer these questions each week. Toby Levering's back. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And I know the audience is ready for their question. If they're regular viewers, uh, your question today is, what weapon did Samson use to kill a thousand Philistines? Kind of an odd weapon, but uh, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you knew that little bit of Bible trivia. Uh, looks like I drew the first one today, and the uh, first question our viewer says, where does it say that God hates divorce? And we get questions like this. Somebody's heard that the Bible says this somewhere, or I think they say, it says it. Where is that? And we're happy to give you that reference. So sometimes we have to say, well, that's not really in the Bible. Uh, there's a lot of things that people think sound like it came from the Bible, but it's not really in there. But this one is in there happens to be in Malachi chapter 2. Let's just read it together. Very simple verse, Malachi 2.16. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Now, he's talking about his relationship with Israel, but he's also talking about divorce between husbands and wives, and he says, I hate that. Now, uh, that's where it says it. Now, taking one verse and making it kind of the greatest verse in the world is a little dangerous. Uh, it's true, but some people read that and get to thinking that, well, divorce has got to be the worst, absolute worst possible sin in the whole world if God says, I hate it. There's a lot of things God hates. Uh, through the Bible, there's a number of lists that say there's seven things that God hates, and then it lists things like lying and gossiping and pride and uh, um, well, lots of different things. And in this verse, he says he hates divorce. Now, the reason he says that is because of the effects of divorce. It's not just divorce that he hates, but he wants us to have an abundant life. In fact, John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life, eternal life, and have it more abundantly. While you're on earth, have an abundant life. And so that's where all these rules, if you want to call them rules, 
uh, come from is God knows what's best for us. He, he created us. And he, know divorce, he knows divorce creates bad problems. And so does anybody that's been divorced. They understand that. So God says, I hate it. I, I hate the effects of divorce. I hate the effects of, of lying and gossiping and all those other things that he says he hates because he knows it messes up life. So that's what this is about. Uh, Malachi 2.16 is your verse, and that's what it means. Yeah, I always answer that by, and that was a good answer, but I always think of it that the verse says, I hate divorce. It doesn't say God hates divorced people. And, you know, I, like you said, it's it's a mess. It causes lots of problems, and God doesn't want that for us. And, and let me add this. Anybody that's seen divorce, you know, understands it. Yep. Anybody that's been yep. through a divorce uh, would agree with that verse. Well, I hate it too. Yep. That's right. That's <laughs> you know, right. It's not like we're picking on divorced people that's right. because they know what that verse means. Yep. <laughs> and uh, anybody that's sat through it or been through it uh, comes out of it saying, yeah, I hate it too. <laughs> but, and all sin for that yep. matter. Sure. Uh, I've problems, said before sometimes that you know, you talk to somebody that's got sin in their life and has messed things up and messed their family up and caused all these problems. When you get through talking to them, sometimes I just think to myself, man, I hate sin. Yep. You know, sin just, it's a mess. Causes <laughs> lots of trouble. All right, next first viewer asked the question, is there a verse that says, quote, long hair and a beard is a sign of God's blessing? Well, we got a duck dynasty viewer, I guess. <laughs> Uh, to my study and knowledge of the Bible, there is no verse that says exactly that. And the ones that do, using them as taking them woefully out of context. Just so you know, Leviticus 19.27 is addressing to, specifically to the Levites. And the verse there says, You shall not round the, off the hair of your, on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. In other words, they were to let it grow out, and they, they weren't. That was part of their uh, how they showed their priestliness was to let that beard grow. First uh, Corinthians eleven four is a New Testament verse where it says, "Doesn't does not nature itself teach you that a man uh, wears long hair is a disgrace?" What he's saying there is that it <laughs> naturally men tend to have shorter hair than women. And, and uh, I wouldn't go into the whole exposition of that there. But no, there is no verse that says exactly that, though there are some that people may try to take out of context and, and use to uh, uh, twist some things. So uh, no, it doesn't say that exactly. The laws that for Leviticus, though, those were under the old covenant that God gave to Moses to, to be applicable to his people, the Israelites. And uh, the point is, it's impossible to keep them 100%. Of course, in Jesus Christ, we are under the new and better covenant, um, the law of the Spirit. And so we understand that we're not bound by how we keep our necessarily trim, trim our beard or not uh, has probably more to do with uh, personal choice and probably a lot more to do with genetics. <laughs> but there's not a biblical mandate on that. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 6, let's read together. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So... That's what you'll find about beards in the Bible. All right. Not a blessing that we know of. Yeah. Okay. Viewer wants to know about Job. Uh, why did God allow Satan to punish Job? That's a good question. Uh, interesting book. Very interesting book. And sometimes we struggle with, well, why did God do this or that? 
We always say why questions are kind of tricky when you start to say, why did God do something? But this one I think we can reason through. Uh, why did God allow Satan to punish Job? Uh, only three possibilities. One, he needed punishing. Uh, he'd done something wrong and needed to be punished. Uh, two, to prove something to God, to test Job, to see if he really did love God. Or third, to prove something to Satan. Well, the first one, did Job need punishing? Well, no, he didn't need punishing at all. In fact, God himself said of Job, uh, let me read it to you, there is none like him on earth. He is blameless and upright. He fears God. He turns away from evil. Okay, Job was a good guy, so he didn't need punishing. Uh, so that eliminates first option. Second one is to test Job to prove to God that he really loved him or something like that uh, as a test for God. No, God knew who he was. God knew he trusted him completely. Uh, God had ultimate trust in Job. So it wasn't for God's purpose. And the third one is it was to prove something to Satan, and that's the answer. Uh, if you read the first chapter of Job, you find that out. Uh, Job's, or Satan talked to God, and kind of an interesting story how that all worked out. But anyhow, uh, he said he was had been on earth looking for people to uh, turn away from God and all that. And God himself brought up Job. He said, by the way, have you seen Job down there? He said, he trusts me completely. No matter what happens to him, he trusts me. And Satan said, no. Nah. He said, if I, if I mess with him, he said, he'll, he'll give up his faith in God. And God said, all right, you got permission to go, go try that. Uh, you can't kill him, but uh, you, you can test him and you'll see how much he loves me. So that was the purpose of it. Uh, there is one other purpose, I think. Uh, it's still a lesson for us today. In uh, James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, the perseverance of Job is used as an example to Christians. Uh, so I think that was a side purpose of it, perhaps, is there's still a great example in Job's life today, and we can look at it and take comfort from that. No matter what bad happens to us, uh, it's not as bad as what happened to Job. And he still trusted God. So good example for us, but mainly it was to prove to Satan that, yes, there are people that completely trust God. All right, we talk about studying the Bible every time we're on, and uh, we encourage you to call in some questions and help us study the Bible with you. But uh, we also, every week, advocate some home Bible study. Uh, we encourage you to study the Bible on your own and get familiar with your Bible. And we've got some materials that we're happy to send you that uh, help you study the Bible. We know a lot of our viewers are solid, regular Bible students. Uh, we know we've got some viewers that just never got started in that. Maybe you tried by sitting down and trying to start reading in Genesis and you didn't make it very far. You bogged down when you got over there in Exodus or Leviticus. Well, this is a little different way to study the Bible than just reading straight through it. Uh, it's a course. There's eight lessons in it. You notice the first two lessons right there, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, that's where you start. You understand, well, what's the Old Testament about? This whole big part of my Bible. And then what's the New Testament about? This other part of my Bible. Well, that gives you a good foundation, gets you grounded there, and then you can go on to some other topics in the Bible, and you'll learn quite a bit about the Bible. We've had thousands of people take us up on this offer over the years, 
and so many of them call or write and tell us thank you. We, we learned a lot about the Bible. So give us a call or log on to the website. Tell us you'd like that free course, and it is absolutely free. Uh, we even pay the postage. So no cost to you. All it takes is a little bit of your time, uh, and you'll know your Bible a little bit better when you're done with that course. So, uh, And then we've got more advanced courses, too. But this is a good place to start. Give us a call and get it started. All right, what's your viewer after a here? A difficult question. My mother had a, a major stroke, and we have to decide whether to disconnect life support. Am I killing her? Uh, well, I, I'm certainly sorry for the uh, tragedy of, of having to face that. Uh, certainly never an easy thing to face with your own mother uh, falling in ill health and then having to make the decision on life support. Uh, to best of my understanding, life support is is for the purpose of of uh, someone who has hope, uh, if they can keep the body long, li alive long enough to do a medical procedure or they see uh, uh, them coming out of it or there's brain activity or something, uh, then uh, it can be helpful and useful. Uh, but of course, just being connected to it uh, without any end in sight and without any hope for any change of their condition, well, most reasonable people agree that that is not living. Uh, that's just keeping the body alive. Um, my estimation, it sounds like the way you describe it, is that uh, what killed her is the, the, was the stroke. Uh, and uh, the medical technology just allows us to keep the body alive. So uh, certainly it's something you need to pray about, something you need to talk to the doctors about and uh, spend a, a great deal of time and prayer with your family and make that decision together. Of course, in a three-minute answer, I can't counsel you fully. Um, but uh, I would, you know, ask God to show you the way. And uh, if, if uh, there's hope for her condition, uh, reveal that to you. And if there's not, uh, make that clear as well. I believe He'll guide us. And I think uh, prayerfully and thoughtfully and with the good counsel of your doctors and caretakers and those who've seen conditions like this before can probably lead you in the way uh, that will be the right decision. Uh, I wanted to go to Psalm chapter 139 for some scripture that tells us <coughs> uh, God's perspective on this. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. But note this, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows the number of our days and uh, He is fully aware of uh, when a person is ready to go. So I hope that's helpful to you. Okay. Uh, good answer there. Good, Always good advice on that kind of thing is talk about that kind of thing beforehand. Mm -hmm. uh, sit down with your family. If you're yeah. an old person, uh, sit down and yeah. make that living will, decide the directives and all that. That's a very difficult thing for a family when nobody's talked about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so discuss it and decide what you want and what your wishes are, and it makes it so much easier for the family. So I know we don't like to talk about death or even plan for it, but <laughs> It's going to happen. <laughs> so uh, sit down and have a family discussion about that and get everything in order so your family doesn't have to go through difficulties like this person asked about. Sure. All right, viewer wants to know, what are empty words? Well, empty words uh, comes from 
a translation of a passage in Matthew 12, which we'll look at in just a little bit. But there's a part of it that says that on Judgment Day, we're going to have to give an account for every empty word or every idle word is another translation or careless is another translation. And by our words, we're going to be approved or condemned. Okay, some people read that little piece and take it to mean that, oh my goodness, every word I ever said is going to be judged. And if I ever slipped up and said a bad word, (laughs) I'm going to be in trouble on judgment day. Uh, If I ever said a careless word, hit my thumb with a hammer and (laughs) said a bad thing, uh, that's going to come up on judgment day. Well, that's not a good good interpretation of the passage. Let's read the whole passage and look at the context, and I think we'll know what empty words are. Uh, uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and uh, Sadducees and all that bunch, and he calls them a brood of vipers. So he, he got on their good side right off the bat. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word or idle word or careless word, depending on the translation, that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Okay. If you read the context there, what Jesus is saying is saying, you Pharisees, you've got wicked hearts. And so the things you say come out of that wicked heart. The words reveal what's in your heart. And so you're going to be judged by those words, not by slipping up and saying a bad word once in your life, but if the things you talk about show what your heart is, and that's what you're going to be judged on. Your, your words reveal what your heart is like. So he's talking about life in general. And you look at that and that's true. If you find somebody that talks about uh, this world, that talks about nothing but, uh, let's say, the stock market. If all they talk about is the stock market and that's the main thing they're worried about and they talk about it all the time, guess where their heart is? Their heart's interested in money, interested in things of this world. If you find somebody that talks about godly things a lot, uh, you kind of know where their heart is. So that's what Jesus is saying here. Is, uh, and if you talk nothing but empty words, uh, idle words, words that don't have anything to do with anything eternal, uh, that shows where your heart is. So uh, I'm not saying... Don't worry about (laughs) how you talk. It is important to to not talk crudely or obscenely or anything like that. But that's not what this verse is about. It's about the condition of the heart is revealed and what we talk about. And on Judgment Day, all that's going to be revealed and we'll see people's hearts there. So that's what that one's about, I think. Okay. church we want to talk about? We do. I think that's next up. Sometimes I forget where I am here, but we we do have a church ad to talk about. Thanks for keeping me on track. Uh, We do this every week as we mention some of the supporters of this program. 
because we are kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and that's why we never ask for any money and never will ask for any money on this program, is because we've got folks that support us and believe it's a good program and keep <coughs> us going. And one of those is in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, a great bunch of partners up there at the city of Sioux Falls. I was up there not too long ago and uh, met with them and a good bunch of folks and very uh, interested in the Know Your Bible program. A lot of folks there that uh, visit because of the program and are studying the correspondence course in that area and uh, learning about Christ. If you're in Sioux Falls, the church there on Southeastern Avenue, a uh, great bunch of folks drop in and visit them sometime. If you're looking for a church home, I know you'd be warmly welcomed there. Uh, maybe you know somebody that attends this congregation. If you do, tell them that, hey, I saw you guys on TV the other day. And I appreciate you keeping the program on the air. So Southeastern Church of Christ and Sioux Falls, a great bunch of partners of Know Your Bible, and we appreciate them. Whatever market you live in, there's probably a Church of Christ pretty close to you. So if you're looking for a church home, drop in and visit one sometime. Uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, now it's your now, turn. Now a clarification <laughs> question. If you were asked, uh, please clarify Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. Okay, well, it would probably be most helpful to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27, and which says simply, if we keep deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, but no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now, uh, some people kind of misinterpret this verse, and, and it sounds like they're saying, well, goodness, if, uh, if I... If I accept Jesus and and then I turn away from him then I I'm I am eternally damned I cannot do you know I've I've messed it up once and for all I I can't do anything I can't repent I can't go back uh if you've interpreted that way you have misunderstood what the Hebrew writer is trying to say he's trying to say essentially Jesus is the last best hope for man uh, that we'll ever have, uh, that God has done everything under heaven, including Him sending His Son from heaven to redeem us, to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death and to be raised three days later that we might have the hope of eternity. And having done all that, if you are aware of that and decide, no, I'm, I'm not going to follow Jesus, it's not for me, hey, what else can God do? I mean, he has done it all, and the only <coughs> next choice he could do is override your free will, which, of course, he is not ever going to do. So if you reject Jesus, you've re rejected the last uh, hope that you could possibly have for your eternal salvation. Uh, so the, the message is don't reject Jesus. And uh, if you've turned away from Jesus, you can come back to him. If you've, if you've slipped off uh, the path and, and you want to come back and your heart is penitent and sincere, of course you can always Always come back to the Lord. Uh, that's why He died, uh, so that we might have, uh, so that our sins might be forgiven. Uh, but He's the last shot we have. There's no other way. And that's what Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says simply salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So He's our, our only hope and our best hope. All right, very good. Somebody worried about giants here. What about giants on the <laughs> earth? Are they in the Bible? And what happened to them? Uh, well, yes, they're 
are giants in the Bible, uh, very big people at least. Uh, we don't know how tall some of them were. We know how tall Goliath was, about nine feet tall. So we know there was at least one giant. Uh, let's read one verse, Deuteronomy chapter 9, that mentions it. Uh, this, Israel's ready to go into the promised land, and God says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? So there was a group of people that uh, were related or descended from Anak that were obviously big people. Uh, like I said, we don't know how tall they were, but they're big people. Well, there still are big people on earth. There's some races or, or tribes that are taller than other people. Uh, so there's still big people around. I think it's important to know that th there's a difference between giants as big people and giants of a mythological size, like uh, the Cyclops or Paul Bunyan, uh, you know, 20 feet tall and, and all that. Uh, I don't think those kind ever existed. Some people like to make that up, and if you you make the mistake of Googling giants on earth, uh, don't ever do that. But if you do, you'll find some of the most preposterous uh, fakes and foolishness that you've ever seen. Uh, people showing fossils that are obviously photoshopped of huge men and women. It, like I say, don't do it. Don't waste your time on that. Uh, but yes, there were big people, giants in the Bible. Uh, what happened to them? Those races are probably died out, but there's still big people around. So uh, yes, there were some giants on the earth and still giants in that sense around today. All right, one last question okay. maybe. Uh, does it say anywhere in the Bible that on Sunday women can't wear makeup? And the answer to that is no, not directly. Unfortunately, there are some groups that twist scriptures and uh, distort them. And uh, but no, there are ne never not any that say you thou shalt not wear makeup on Sunday. There are some groups that teach that, but that's not found in the Bible. Uh, and the Bible does say some things about our appearance, mainly that we pay a lot more attention to it on the outside than we should, uh, as, and we should pay more attention to the inward beauty. Uh, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. His point is not saying you can't have those things and you can't, but just not that's not where your focus should be and that's not where your true beauty lies. And when coming to worship, if you're <coughs> adorning yourself in such a manner that you're trying to get all the focus on you, then that's a problem. Uh, but as a general rule, no, it's, uh, it's not that you need my permission anyway, but <laughs> it is absolutely fine to wear makeup. Just don't let it be a distraction. Worship is about God and not anyone else. All right. Also, appropriate to not wear makeup That's if you fine. don't want yeah, to, but that can be distracting too, perhaps. Sure, sure. So, uh, don't draw attention to yourself. <laughs> That's is a right. good rule. Yep. All right. Trivia question. What weapon did Samson use to kill a thousand Philistines? Well, he used the jawbone of a donkey. Uh, pick that up and 
Samson was pretty tough. That was enough for him, and uh, he slew a lot of Philistines. <laughs> All right, we're out of time today, but we're glad you've been with us, and we're going to come back next week and answer some more questions. Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.